Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Well, this morning I want to uh, carry on with the series that we started last Sunday morning, Walking in the Word, and uh, the topic, uh, the, the title and topic of my message this morning is How I Know I Can Trust the Bible. For the next several weeks, we're talking about God's Word, the Bible, how to read it, how to interpret it, how to absorb it, and how to uh, uh, let it become a part of our life. And so I'm hoping and praying that the next several weeks that we're in this series, it's just going to challenge your heart, change your life in the area of planting God's Word in your heart and to make Bible reading become just a natural part of your everyday life. Every Wednesday night, we'll be discussing uh, these sermons, and our goal is to teach you how to unlock God's Word for yourself so that you're not dependent on myself or any other a pastor or teacher, but you yourself learn how to read and discern and interpret and just absorb God's Word for you. And if you're not already signed up for a small group, they just started this past week. So uh, you'd be jumping on board right at the front end here. So join us Wednesday night and we will get you plugged into a great small group that I just think will really help you and challenge you uh, in your daily walk. So, okay, here we go. You ready? Doesn't sound like you're ready. You ready? Ready to receive? Well, that was so-so. But here we go. The Bible is the most read book in the world. Period. Did everyone aware of that? The most read book in the entire world. It is the best-selling book in all of human history. Not by a small margin, by a huge margin. The best-selling piece of literature in all of human existence. That's impressive, don't you think? The question we're going to look at and hopefully answer this morning is, how do we know that the Bible, how do we know this really, truly is the Word of God, not just the Word of a bunch of men who wrote stuff down and then somebody put it all together and now we're just saying it's the Word of God. Because have you ever had that question roll around in your head? You don't have to be ashamed to admit it. Anybody had that? Like, man, how do we know this is, you know, everyone says, well, this is God's Word. Well, how do we know that? What evidence, what proofs do we have that this really is the divine inspired Word of God? That's an important question that we all have to answer before we're ever really going to get anything out of God's Word that we can put our trust in with our life, right? So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every work. You've probably, there's a good chance most of you have read that before. But I want you to notice those words. All Scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean, right? Right now, you're listening to the breath of Doug Roberts, aren't you? Literally, you're actually listening to my breath because my voice, all of our voices, it's just air, it's breath that's coming up over our vocal cords, vibrating those cords, and the end result is the sound that you hear coming out of my mouth. That's what you're hearing. In other words, if I didn't have breath, I wouldn't have any voice or words, would I? So the breath of Doug Roberts is also the word of Doug Roberts. And so God's word is actually his very breath. It's not just some good ideas put together in a book. It's a God's actual word to us. We're going to talk about how we can prove this in a little bit. Psalms 119.86 tells us all your commands are trustworthy. Not some of them, all of them. Amen? Because sometimes a lot of people like to pick and choose which ones they're going to trust and which ones they're not going to trust. But we know if our faith is lined up as it should be, we know all of God's commands are completely trustworthy. Now, I realize that it's one thing for the Bible to claim 
and for Christians, for that matter, claim that it is the Word of God and that it can be trusted. But the question I want to answer this morning is, how do I really, really know that? How do I know that this really is the actual Word of God and I can literally trust my life to it? How do I know it's not just a bunch of stories and fables that, you know, some guys wrote down a thousand years ago and somebody put them all together in a little collection and this is what we ended up with? I think it's a valid and legitimate question that needs to be answered before someone can fully trust in his word. How do I know I can trust it? I tell you, it is such an interesting topic. Men have been interested in this, uh, answering that question for years and years. And years. How do we know that this really is God's Word, that it really is truth? It's such an interesting question. Time magazine, that has the largest circulation of any other magazine on the planet, Time, at least it did as of a few years ago, they've put it on, they've put this question on their cover, the cover of their magazine, two times. The first time they put it on the cover, the caption was, how is the Bible fact or fiction? They put it on there because they know there's a lot of people that would love to be able to answer that question. So this morning, that's what I hope to do is to settle this issue because there are so many incredible proofs and facts and evidences that should really help solidify in all of our minds that this truly is the Word of God, not just something written down by a bunch of men. So I don't want you to make up your mind based on anything I say or someone else says. I want you to make up your mind based on what the Bible claims about itself and what history and science have actually proven about the accuracy of God's Word. And I think there are seven main reasons that we can find to really base a very solid belief in the Word of God as being His complete truth. So if you're taking notes this morning, jot these down. They're probably going to come up in your life group. You want to be a participant, not a spectator, right? Here's the first reason we can believe this is truly God's Word, the ultimate truth. It is historically accurate. It is historically accurate. That's very important. The Bible, as a matter of fact, is the most historically accurate writing of any book that's ever been written. In other words, it's not just doctrinally and theologically correct as we believe it. We have faith in that, that that's it. But it's actually true history that speaks of real people that actually existed, real places, and real timelines. And that, in the scientific world, is very, very important. It's important because the Bible says that uh, God cannot lie, right? A lot of times people will ask, is there anything that God cannot do? Sometimes they ask it in an argumentative way. The answer is yes. There are things God cannot do. Did you know that? Hebrews 6.18, I heard some no's, so I'm going to read this and then you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Hebrews 6.18 tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. Are there things God cannot do? God's Word says it's impossible for Him to lie. The only reason that this whole universe works is because God is truth, and His truth is true all of the time. All of the laws of nature that were created by God are in force all of the time, and they are always true. Can we agree with that? The law of gravity... Who created the law of gravity? God created it. Can you imagine if the law of gravity worked only on weekdays? I mean, you think you have crazy weekends now. Take gravity out of the picture and things would really get wacky, right? But the laws of physics and the laws of science that have been created by God, they are true not part of the time. They're true all of the time because God is the one that created them. Those laws never change. Psalms 33, 4 says, The word of God is right and true. That's not just referring to God's, uh, the truth of salvation that is woven from start to finish through the Bible. 
But it also is referring to the truth of the history that the Bible actually speaks of. These things actually happened. They're truth. So when historians, people who are professional historians, it is their job. They get paid to track things down that have been written in years earlier. And, and it is their job to track down to see if they can find truth and solid scientific evidence in these writings. That's really what historians are. And generally, they begin their search by asking a particular question, and that question is this. They will ask, was this event recorded by any eyewitnesses, first-hand accounts, or is this information based on second or maybe even third or fourth-hand accounts? And it's very important that they ask that question because they know that there is very little accuracy involved when stories are told second and third-hand down the line. Everything either starts to get all watered down or blown out of proportion, one of the two. The Bible is by far made up of eyewitness accounts from real people. People were actually there writing this stuff down for us to read about today. There are very precious few stories in the Bible that, are, that made it to the Bible that are told from another person's perspective that was not actually there. There's precious few of those. Most of these stories involve eyewitness accounts. The other test of history that tells us the Bible is accurate is the extreme care in which it was copied down. Because sometimes people will say, well, you know, even if there was some accuracy in the Bible when it was actually written, you know, it, it's been handed down through so many generations. Who knows what has uh, been changed or misinterpreted? The truth is this. The truth is that the Old Testament scribes were so accurate. I mean, when they copied, they copied like a Xerox machine. Everything had to be perfect. And they had a very long list of rules to make sure that everything was written down perfectly. A scroll had a very specific number of columns. Each column had exactly 30 characters wide so that it could be easily checked. And they had to copy these things letter by letter, not word by word. There is a difference. Letter by letter. A good example are the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written about 100 years before Jesus ever showed up on earth. They contain copies of every Old Testament book except the book of Esther. We don't know why. We just know that one wasn't there in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So before those were found, the Dead Sea Scrolls, before they were actually found, the earliest known copies of Bible scrolls were from about 900 A.D. after the death of Jesus. That means there was about a thousand-year gap between the writing of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the writings of the scrolls found in 900 A.D. Scholars found that there was a difference in those scrolls of less than 5%. In all of those writings, of all of those books, less than 5%, and most of that 5% is due to the fact that in over a thousand years, some words had changed in how they were spelled or how names were spelled. Every single story was exactly, almost to the letter, the same. That is very significant in the historical accuracy in the scientific world. That is incredibly significant. A thousand years apart between different men writing these, these books down, and when they find them, they're all pretty much exactly the same. It's never happened before. It'll never happen again. Another proof of the historical accuracy is found in archaeology. You know, archaeological, archaeological digs, say that ten times, archaeological digs, they're consistently finding things that prove the accuracy of the Bible. There hasn't been one that has been discovered that disproves the accuracy. Don't you find those odds to be a little high? For hundreds of years, these guys have been digging stuff up, 
not one time has there been, have they dug something up and they went, whoa, now this is an exact contrast to what the Bible said. It's never happened. Everything they've been able to find backs up the Word of God. I mean, you can actually go to these places that are spoken of in God's Word. Most, many of them are still there. The Pool of Siloam. I was at the Pool of Siloam. The Oropagus, or that's called Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, where Paul preached. He went up on top of that rock. I took that picture right there uh, from up on a hill looking down onto Mars Hill. That big rock, you see that thing there with people on it? You just There's a stairway that goes up on that thing, and you get up on that rock, and I mean, I can't believe you don't read about people getting killed every year because you there's no guardrails, no handrails. You can walk right to the edge, and I mean, just slip right off the edge. No nothing. Over there, they're different than we are here. They just assume if you go up there, you need to be smart enough to stay on the rock. If you fall off, you can't sue somebody, uh, you know, because they're just going to say, well, I'm sorry, you weren't quite smart enough to have been on the rock, so you don't have a case. That's different than where we live, right? Be careful, this coffee's hot. We just want you to know, going into this, it's hot. No, I got up on top of that thing. I mean, it was kind of scary, but it's a real place. All, and, and you can just uh, go on and on about all of these dis- different places. The theater in Athens, large portions of Herod's temple, these places, they're all still there. Places that were spoken of in the Bible. Luke, who was a doctor by trade and a historian, he wrote the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts alone, he wrote about 54 different cities, 39 different countries, nine different islands, and they all had complete historical accuracy from that many years ago. The Bible is historically accurate. Amen? I mean, I'm just giving you a a brief overview here. You could go on and on talking about these historical scientific proofs that back up what the Bible has said. The second reason we can believe that this Bible is in fact God's word, his complete truth, the Bible is scientifically accurate. And I'm going to spend a little time on this one. There's two things I know about people who don't believe that the Bible is scientifically accurate. One, I know they haven't really studied the Bible. Two, I know they really don't know all that much about science. Those are two things I know. And the reason I say they don't know science very well is because God established the laws of science and his word within his word never once has contradicted the laws of science. Now the Bible, I'm not saying it's intended to be a scientific textbook. You don't read the Bible to find out how to build a better space shuttle. But my point is this, not one time Not one time in over the 1,600 years in which the Bible was written does it ever state something that contradicts science. In fact, most of the time, God's Word was always and is always ahead of science. Here's what I mean. There are things in the Bible that science has just proven to be true in the last couple hundred years or so. Now, one thing about truth is that it never, what? It never changes. We know that. Truth never changes. One thing we know about science, as far as our human scientific findings, it changes all the time, right? Constantly change. I guarantee you that if you're anywhere close to my age, the science book that you read in third grade is not being used today. Other than for people to sit down and probably snicker at or something. See, the beauty of God's Word is that the truth that's in it, it never changes, nor does the science that is in the Bible. Things in the Bible that were thought to be scientifically ridiculous just 200 years ago have now been proven to have solid solid scientific fact behind them. Now, here's something that I find very interesting about the Bible also. The Bible doesn't just prove itself to be true by what is in the Bible. 
The Bible, I think, also proves itself to be true by what is not in the Bible. And here's what I, I mean. If the Bible had been written by human inspiration, it would surely have been filled with some pretty crazy scientific beliefs of the prevailing time. But you don't find one of them there. Things that every common ordinary man and woman believed about science, a lot of those things you don't find in here because it's been proven they weren't right. You see, here's one great example. For thousands and thousands of years, the majority of people, and during biblical times, probably, you could almost say safely all people, probably, believed that the earth was flat. You have to think about this for a minute. During the times the Bible was written, through that whole, all of those centuries and centuries, over 16 centuries, the common belief was that the earth was flat. There's still a few of those around here today. We have anybody that belongs to the flat earth society? You know, they're out there. There's not many of them. They're in such bad shape, they refuse to take long walks. <laughs> that was a little joke I made up myself, but... <clears throat> which was obvious. <laughs> it wasn't until the last few hundred years that men like Galileo and Columbus actually discovered the earth was not flat. The earth was, in fact, round. So the entire time that the Bible was being written, the prevailing belief by everyone was that the world was flat, and yet there's not one single word in the Bible about the earth being flat because that would have been proven to be wrong, even though that's what everyone thought. Don't you find that a little bit amazing? That's what everybody thought, not one word about it in there. You would expect the Bible to say the earth is flat because that is what everyone believed during the years it was written. But not only does the Bible not say the earth is flat, it states the exact opposite in a day when probably no one would have known what in the world that meant. Isaiah 40:22. Everyone in the world thinks the world, the world, the earth is flat, and these words are written. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Pretty amazing, right? Over 2,500 years ago, the Bible said the earth was round, even though nobody believed it until just a few hundred years ago. That's amazing, I think. Part of the Bible is written in Greek. The Greeks, do you know what the Greeks believed at the time the Bible was being written? They believed that the earth was indeed flat, and that it was held up by a giant named Atlas. But there's not one mention of that in the Bible. Can you believe it? The Hindus win the crazy award. During biblical times, the Hindus believed that the earth sat on the back of four giant elephants. Well, you, you think it sounds crazy, but you have to listen to the rest of their explanation, then it makes a little more sense. They had a good explanation uh, of what, well, what did the elephants stand on? It's a good question, right? Well, they said, well, the elephants stood on the back of a giant turtle, and the giant turtle stood on the back of a giant sea serpent, and any time any of those animals moved, that's what caused earthquakes. Well, all right, now it's starting to make a little more sense. Not one mention of that in the Bible, even though all these thousands and thousands of people believed it. Not one word in the Bible. The Egyptians, who were pretty brilliant people, I mean, engineers today still kind of fuss and argue about exactly how they could have got those pyramids built. They were pretty smart people, right? They were masters at engineering and architecture. But the Egyptians, for all of their smarts, they taught that the earth was flat and supported on five giant pillars. That's what was taught in the Egyptian schools. That's what every Egyptian believed. And here's what's interesting. Moses, who was raised from a, a baby, 
and sent, I'm sure, to the finest Egyptian schools, had the finest Egyptian tutors and teachers and scholars, you can be guaranteed he was taught that the earth was flat and stood on five pillars because he was raised in Egypt. And yet, not one word about that in the Bible. Why? Because none of it was true. In fact, the oldest known writing to man, anyone know what it is? The book of Job is believed to be the oldest actual writing of man. You know, the books of the Bible, as we read them, they are not presented in chronological order. I don't know if you are aware of that or not. But the book of Job is, is considered by men who are a lot, lot smarter than me to be the oldest known piece of literature in the existence of the human race. And so knowing that, here's what's interesting. In the very first writing that man has recorded, Job 26.7 says this, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and he hangs the earth on nothing. That, who on earth told Job that? Everybody believes the earth is flat. The only thing they fuss about is what is holding it up. But nobody knows anything about the earth just hanging on its own somewhere. Because that makes absolutely no sense. How on earth did he write that? It's amazing, right? I mean, everyone thinks the earth is, is sitting on the backs of elephants or pillars. or Other than divine inspiration from God, there is no way that in the first writings known to man, it was written, the earth hangs on nothing in empty space. That is, that's a mind blower right there to me. I don't know if you're into science or you find it interesting, but that's mind boggling to me. If you do enough research, you can just go on and on and on about how science and the Bible back each other up. I will say this, the Bible is not only scientifically accurate, it's always a step ahead of our science. So the Bible is historically accurate, it is scientifically accurate. Here's the third reason we can believe this is in fact the Word of God. The Bible is prophetically accurate. The Bible is filled from start to finish with thousands of prophecies where God has told us in advance uh, about something in particular that would happen at a certain time or at a certain place or involve a certain person. Over the centuries, thousands of these prophecies have already been fulfilled, every one of them exactly as foretold by God through this word. There are over 300 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus coming and being born on earth as our Messiah. Some of those were prophesied a thousand years before he ever showed up in Bethlehem. Every one of those 300 came to pass. The odds of making 300 specific predictions about one person, such as where they'd be born, how they would die, things that they would accomplish in their life, very specific prophecies. The odds of 300 of those coming true are so astronomical that mathematicians say the number is too big for most people to even know how to write down. Pretty amazing. I'm telling you this today. It takes more faith to believe that all of these prophecies were just a bit. It takes more faith than it takes faith to believe God planned these things out. It takes more faith to believe they just happened. The more you know about the universe and even, even the more you know just about your own human body, I'm telling you, the more faith you have to have to believe that all of this just happened by happenstance. Man, some frogs just crawled up out of the water before long. They were monkeys and man, before long, it's us. That is so dumb. You say, why is it dumb? Well, because there's still a lot of frogs and monkeys hopping around. What happened to them? They didn't get the message on, you know, how to keep evolving. And now they're just stuck in frogdom and monkeydom. I think those are words. I don't know. Reason number four we can 
trust that this word is complete truth, that it is the word of God. The Bible is thematically unified. And here's what that means. It means it has the same theme weaving its way from Genesis to Revelation. And that theme being the redemption of man. That theme runs all the way through the Old Testament before Jesus ever shows up. Although the next question is usually, well, you know, what's the big deal about that? I know plenty of books that were written and have the same, you know, multiple books that have the same theme from start to finish. There's some out there. But I would say this. I would say, oh, really? Books that were written over a period of 1,600 years that were written by 40 different authors that lived on three different continents who spoke three different languages and most of those people had never even met each other. And all of their writings got written down and saved and collected and then a thousand years after all of them had been long dead, someone put it all together and that theme was the same woven through all of those books. That just happened by coincidence. That's crazy talk. It's never happened before. It will never happen again. You know, if it, the Bible had been written by just one guy, yeah, easy to explain thematic uh, unification. The Koran, written by Muhammad, although he had the audacity to throw tons of Bible into it. You know, he... He copied half of his stuff out of the Bible, but just changed the stuff he wanted to change. The Analects of Confucius, written by... Yo, you guys are quick. Written by Confucius. The Writings of Buddha. I forget who wrote that. Oh, it was Buddha, wasn't it? That makes it pretty easy. You would expect there to be uniformity, but the Bible a book written by 40 different people over 1,600 years, spread out over three continents, was speaking three languages. Most of them had never met each other. The Bible was written by poets, prophets, princes, kings, sailors, soldiers, attorneys, doctors, even some fishermen. And they all came up with the same theme running through there. It's never been done. It's never come close to happening in the history of man. Now, some people argue that it's not the same thing. They say, well, no, it's really, the Old Testament is about Israel and the New Testament is about Jesus. But according to Jesus, it's all about him. In John 5.39, he said, you search the scriptures because they think, you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures, the scriptures are what? When he was talking, most of the scripture was the Old Testament, Right? He says, but the scriptures point to me. That's very significant. That means all scripture. Reason number five, we can believe this is the word of God. The Bible is confirmed by Jesus himself. Like what we were just talking about. Even Jesus trusted the word of God that had been written up to that point. As a matter of fact, when he's being tempted in the wilderness, what did he use as defense? He used the word of God that had been written previously. He obviously believed it to be the word of God because that's what he used. Even though it was, had been written down with the physical hand of man, he believed it was the word of God because he quoted it. I mean, when Jesus would talk about the Scriptures, He would refer to the Scriptures as a, as a very real book with real people that were in real places and had been doing real things. He sometimes spoke in parable to make an illustration or a point, but most of what He talked about involved real people, places, and things. He spoke of the prophets being real. He spoke of Daniel being a real person, of Noah being a real person. He spoke of the tragedy of Sodom and Gomorrah. If Jesus talked about Adam and Eve, I mean, starting right from the get-go, if Jesus trusted all of these accounts to be truth, man, I'm, not, I'm no one to question them. None of us are, amen? The sixth reason we can trust the Bible, and I think this is pretty significant also, 
It has survived all attacks. This amazing fact makes the Bible an incredibly unusual book. Because the Bible is the most despised, most denied, most disputed, most dissected, most debated, most outlawed, most destroyed, and the most banned book in human history. Which explains why it's the best selling. You got to keep buying it because they keep getting rid of them. Unbelievable. Millions of people have died, have given their life because they would not give up the truth that's found in this book. They would not deny it. And that was true thousands of years ago, and it's still true as you sit in your chair this morning. Right now, in North Korea, there are people that are put to death for owning a Bible. And in many various countries around the world, we have missionaries in countries that we can't talk about because it's just too dangerous for them. But they're there. The Bible has been under attack since its very inception. It's nothing new. And it still remains the most widely read, the most widely published, the most widely translated, and is still the best-selling book in the world by a long shot. That's pretty amazing, since it is also the most despised, most destroyed, most banned book in the history of mankind. Anybody else other than me find that um, unbelievable? The Bible is still the greatest source of music, a source of art, even the greatest source of architectural history in mankind. This is interesting. I think this is interesting also. Most of us here today, raise your hand if you speak English. Look at that. Every hand in a joint. You know why we speak English? A big reason why we're all sitting here this morning speaking English. Can anybody tell me? Because of the King James Bible being translated in English, which is why we all speak English today. Had it not been for the King James Version of the Bible, it's hard telling what language we'd all be speaking today, but chances are actually very slim it would be English. That's pretty significant, don't you think? The truth will always be the truth, whether we want to believe it or not. Can I get an amen on that? Or I'm just going to stay right here. The truth is always going to be the truth, whether we choose to believe it or not. I've, told, I've mentioned before about a bumper sticker that particularly just kind of grates on my nerves a little bit. How many of you have seen those bumper stickers that said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it? Have you ever seen those bumper stickers? I'm thinking that's kind of a dumb way to put it. If they want to be completely accurate, they should say, God said it, I, or God, God said it, and that settles it, regardless of what I believe. That's what it should say, right? It's not truth simply because we choose to believe it. We can believe a lot of crazy things in this world. He said it. That settles it, whether we believe it. There's a lot of people that don't want to believe that certain things are immoral in this world today. I don't know if you've noticed that. You know, the prevailing thought is, listen, you don't want to rush into this marriage thing. I mean, you need to live with this person for a while to make sure you're compatible. I tell you, if that was the case, very few of us would have ever gotten married because after you're married for a, a, a short time, you find out you're not all that compatible. You're going to have to work on it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, is there anyone here that after being married for a couple years, you didn't think, well, I, did, I didn't know you were like this. No, nah, there's, you know, there's no way we know everything about a person. But the fact remains, we don't get to make the rules on what's moral or immoral, do we? Well, we can, but they don't count for anything. It doesn't make any difference if we want to believe something is moral or immoral. If God says it's moral, then it is moral. But if he says it's immoral, it's immoral no matter what we choose to believe. And that's just the truth. It makes no difference 
what we say because we don't get to make the rules. Is everybody aware we don't get to make the rules? How many of you ever watched Everybody Loves Raymond? That show cracks me up. Frank and Marie, they crack me up. Now Frank is far from being theologically correct on almost anything. But there's an episode that I absolutely love. It just There's an episode where they're all going to church because Frank and Marie, they go to church every Sunday. Doesn't say a whole lot, right? But they do. But Raymond always has some excuse where he, he doesn't go to church. You know, his wife and the kid, they go to church. He's always staying home. And so one day, Frank, his dad, tells Raymond's kids, he says, well, you know, I don't know that your dad's going to be going to heaven because he doesn't go to church. And when Raymond finds this out, he's just irate. And he goes to Frank. He said, what do you mean telling my kids I may not go to heaven because I don't go to church? And Frank's response, he says, hey, I don't make the rules. I do love that response. It's just, hey, I don't make the rules. Like he actually follows any of them. But anyway, that's a different story. We don't get to make the rules. But there's so many people living their lives today like they think they're getting to make the rules, right? They think they're really getting away with something because, uh, you know, some bolt of lightning hasn't shot out of the sky and dropped them dead. So they think they're getting away with it. It's like I could say to you, now friends, as your pastor, you've been led astray. This line of climb of anything, that's a bunch of baloney. It doesn't exist. And to prove it, I'm going to climb up on the Tower of America and I'm going to jump off. I'll show you. And so I climb up on the Tower of America and I jump off. And about halfway down, someone says, hey, Doug, how's that law of gravity thing going? And I say, hey, so far, so good. Right? But payday is coming. Right? And that's how so many people live their lives. They think they're getting away, making their own rules, and they're not realizing they are about to come crashing down at some point. It's going to happen. Because God's laws are the only ones that are truth. And God gives each of us the freedom. We can just thumb our nose at Him and at His Word for our entire life. But that is not going to be the end of the story. God is always going to have the last word. A lot of people are used to getting in the last word. They're going to have their way. Hey, not with God you're not getting in the last word. He will always get it in. I mean, you can run from God, you can run from His truth all your life, but there's quickly coming a day when you're not going to be able to run anymore, and you're going to find yourself standing before God Almighty, and when that day comes, this isn't going to work too well. Say, well, you know, I, that's just not the way I believed. And then God's going to say, well, I'm sorry, but that was the truth. And you just snubbed your nose at it. God's Word is truth. God's Word is supreme whether we choose to believe it or not. There is way more scientific evidence backing up His Word than any individual particular belief you may have that doesn't line up with that Word. You're aware of that, right? You know, you're thinking you're incredibly smart when there's been tons of people way smarter than you that have proven there's more scientific proof in this than anything you've come up with. We need, I think that's important for us to know, right? We're, we're not as smart as we think we are usually. You know, if I thought, well, let me say this. The seventh reason this is, we know this is truth. This book has transforming power like no other book that's ever existed. Since the beginning of man, nothing has changed the lives of people more than the Bible has. I mean, we, most of us, I would say, have seen alcoholics, drug addicts, mean, vicious people who just, and people who felt they had no hope in life. We've seen their lives completely transformed and changed through the writing in this book. You know, we can make all the laws in the world we want. Those laws don't change hearts. How do we know that? 
There is not one nation on planet earth that does not have a law that says you cannot kill people. And yet on every, in every nation on planet earth every day, there are people that kill people. What's up with that? Hey, there's a law that says you can't do that. So why is it happening? Because laws don't change people's hearts. If I thought laws changed people's hearts, I'd have become a politician, not a preacher. Seriously. I just don't have a lot of faith that politics are going to make people better people. God said, Jesus said it best in John 8, 31, 11. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set, that's the only place you're going to find real freedom. And truth is in this word. There's a lot of people in the world that claim, they say, oh, I just don't believe in the Bible. But does anyone here want to know what I think? All I need is one hand raised and I'm going to tell you. Okay, that's a, you're all going to hear it because he wants to know right there. Here's gospel according to Doug. I think a lot of times when people say, well, I, I don't believe in the Bible, I think what they're saying is they want to be boss of their own life. They don't want God to be God of their life. They want to be God of their life. They don't want to submit to some other authority. So it's easier to just say, well, see, I don't believe that. Therefore, I, do, I make up my own rules and I do whatever I want. To those people, I you know, would often like to ask, well, how's all that working out for you? How all, are those rules working out for you that you've been making? Things kind of going the way you've been wanting them to go? Going the way you expected them to go? We all have to decide at some point who is going to be the authority in our lives, right? We have to make that decision. It's either going to be God or it's going to be us. That's the choice we make. Who's going to be the, whose rules are we going to follow? Are we going to make the rules? Or are we going to follow God's rules? It's a choice we all have to make. I'm sure we've all been guilty at some point of making our own rules and finding out it didn't work out so well. Thankfully, God's grace offers us forgiveness and we can get back on track. Aren't you thankful for that? For all the times you decided, no, I'm going to make my rule on this one. And then you found out, no, this was a bad idea. How many times have we been through it? I just, I kind of wrap things up by telling you this this morning. This book right here, whether it's an old-fashioned one like this with pages, whether it's in your phone, whether it's on your iPad, wherever it's at, it is the only thing that we've really got going for us. Amen? This book and what it contains is the only thing we've got going for us that matters, that amounts to a hill of beans in life. This book tells us, uh, it tells us none of us are accidents. None of us are here by accident. Your parents might have said, uh, you were an accident. God says, no, you weren't. If you knew what you had to get here to get here, you would realize you're not an accident. You were in a race with about a million other thing, little guys, and you won. Those odds are pretty incredible. All the others, you know what happened to them? They died. One out of a million, you made it and you're here. How could that possibly be an accident, right? The book tells us that God made us to love Him. It tells us he made us so he could love us. That's good news. The, this book also tells us that all of us are sinners. You're aware of that, right? That's why we need a Savior. Because we're all born sinners. Even after we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're still sinners saved by grace. Anybody here this morning besides me, after you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you committed a sin? Am I the only one? Good. I'd feel really bad if I was the only one. But man, God still gives me grace. Still gives me a clean, fresh start when I go before him and say, God, I really messed up on this. I need you to forgive me. 
this book tells us all about how to be forgiven. This book tells us we have an incredible purpose for our life. This book tells us that we're going to have problems in life. I didn't think I'd get any amens on that. But it also tells us through him, we're also going to experience complete victory in life. That's where the good news comes in. Without this, you're going to have all kinds of problems in life and not have victory. So which, do you, which way do you want it, you know? It's one way or the other, right? This book tells us that there is a glorious home that has been prepared for us that we don't even have words to describe. It's so incredible. It's beyond what we can imagine. And I'm going to tell you, I can imagine some pretty cool things. And it's beyond that. People say, isn't it just going to get boring in heaven? Look at all the cool things there are on planet Earth that we haven't been able to do. And heaven goes on and on. And it's got so many cool, incredible things. I'm telling you, it's going to be far. For every, every moment in heaven is just going to be, wow, wow. Can you imagine? No boring moments in heaven. There's going to be too many incredible things going on. I'm praying today that everyone chooses to believe that this is the perfect truth. That's my prayer. Because the key to our eternity is in choosing who we're going to believe, what we're going to believe. That's the key to all of our eternities, right? Whatever we choose to believe, that is the key. We can choose to believe truth or we can choose to believe goofy stuff. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.